Well, the thing that I was reading, the thing that, that God has been, been revealing to me personally and, and constantly teaching me so that in Mike's prayer, so that we can actually experience the preciousness of who Christ is. And of course, you can never separate his preciousness, uh, preciousness from who he is. And you can't, and I can't thank God for that because it's his preciousness. Notice that. But you can never separate him, his preciousness, from who you are in him. And that's a pretty amazing thing to be able to see each other. Kind of quickly this morning as God had me, I just, I, I posted that this morning uh, just about how precious, how precious that God is. He's so precious to us. And, uh, and that preciousness always reveals the fact that we can't do anything without him. We can't, we can't, we, and God hasn't left it up to us to determine or to figure out just how precious his son is. He's given us the Holy Spirit to do so. That's what makes it so clear in John 16, 13, and 14. You know, Jesus said this, and he said it himself in so many ways. And the thing that I'm going to understand with you this morning is it says in the King James in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9, in King James it says he was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Well, the, the original language is bringing out very clearly, meaning, and it means this, that he was filled up while he walked the earth. He was filled up with all of who God is. And then in Colossians 2.10, in the King James, it says, and you are complete in him. And really what the original again says is, and you are filled up in him. And God has filled us up with just how precious his son is. He's filled us up with that. First Peter 1 and verse 19. That's what makes his poured out life, his blood, to be so very precious. And truthfully, to be so unique and like any other human's blood. He had a human nature. He never had a sin nature. And oh, how far short we can when we think we can privately interpret his preciousness just how incredibly valuable and precious he is apart from god the holy spirit truthfully who is the th theologian and the scholar period there are there is not another now and that's what jesus was saying in john 6 63 he said it is the spirit god's spirit that that what enlivens us that gives us life he was talking to his disciples he was talking to those that he considered to be so precious and it was based upon his own preciousness that's why it's so necessary for us to have the soul separated from the spirit in hebrews 4 and verse 12 that's what makes it very necessary but that's what he said in john 6 63 and it's very interesting the way that it's brought out in the scriptures. The way that God has been bringing it out to me in all these uh, decades of my growth by his pure grace, by his pure truth, without anything mixed with it. That's what it means to be pure. 
to be pure. We don't, we can't mix our thoughts apart from God's thought just about how precious and valuable his son is to us. So he said in John 6, 63, it is God, the Holy Spirit that enlivens, that brings life into us. Then he said this, the flesh profits nothing. He said, the words that I speak unto you, he said, they are spirit and they are life. Now, Jesus, on his way, when he was on his way to the cross, and you can see this as, it, as he's making his way through, and I love the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John brings out his walk on earth, and his walk on earth was a continual walking towards the cross to bring out that preciousness that he experienced between his Father and himself with the Holy Spirit, notice this, and it was the Holy Spirit that proceeded from both. I love the Gospel of John. The difference between the Gospel of John and I've always, in the Bible, you know, I, I would tend to pick my favorites. <laughs> there are no favorites with God. He's not a respecter of persons. We see that all through the scriptures. God is not a respecter of persons. Okay, but when I would think of of John the Beloved, and I would see him lay his head on Jesus' breast in John 13 and verse 23. I said, I want, I want to be like him. I want to be like John. Because no one, and God chose this man to reveal his preciousness, to reveal the preciousness of Christ. The whole time he walked the face of the earth. The whole time God used this man as a vessel to bring out his preciousness to each of us. And then to bring out these heavenly truths, the other guy that I, I wanted to be so much like was the Apostle Paul, because he brings out the heavenly Christ. This is what Jesus was saying when he said in John 14 and verse 16, he said that I'm going to give you, I'm going to ask the Father and he's going to give you another comforter. You see, we have two comforters. To be comforted simply means that, that God through the Holy Spirit, because the Father gave us his Son, it is the Holy Spirit that will bring out his preciousness in each of us as his own unique vessel. Brand new creation. A brand new creation. You see, he created Jesus in the womb of that 14-year-old peasant girl in Luke 1 and verse 35. And that's what brings it out in John 1 and verse 14. In John 1 and verse 14, the Word, the Word was what? Was made flesh. Still the Word, but put on humanity. We see this in John 1 and verse 14. He didn't, the Word didn't become something else. No, he added himself, God added himself through the preciousness of his son to his humanity so that the son of God and the son of God became one at this particular time. In the eternal mind of God, yes, but this time, at this particular time, and this brings out the preciousness of God's timing and his provision for each of us in a most beautiful and a most emphatic way. We can't do one single thing apart from him. Because if we do, it's apart from the fullness of the Godhead bodily in Jesus Christ. So the whole time Jesus walked the face of the earth, we see how beautiful 
his walk on the earth is brought out. Then, upon the crucifixion, the finished work on the cross in John 19 and verse 30, he went up into heaven, and what he does for us now is he intercedes for us. He intercedes. Many times through the word God has shared with us that in his intercession, and this is brought out in the most beautiful way, it is his high priestly prayer in John the 17th chapter. And in John 17 and verse 11 and verse 21, based upon the work that he had already finished in John 17 verse 14, but was going to the cross to manifest it. To manifest his love, this loving relationship. Now, going back to John 14 and verse 16, he said, I'm going to get, I'm going to ask the Father and he's going to give you another comforter. He said, because for now, the Holy Spirit is with you, meaning he was that fullness of the Holy Spirit that was with them. But then he said, in John 14 and verse 17, but then he's going to be in you. He's going to be in you. And this would happen as a result of the cross. It is brought out in so many different types. Even when the, the, the soldier didn't break the bones of Jesus, that was foretold in scores of scriptures, they would not break his bones uh, in the Old Testament and all through. He took a spear and, and speared him in the side, and water, blood and water came out. Blood and water. Our salvation through the blood of Christ, which is precious in 1 Peter 1 and verse 19. It was his love that was poured, his life, his love life, and, and that light was poured out. And then there was this, it says water or serum, but in the types, it was the water that would cleanse us. because. He went into heaven to intercede for us. Again, that's Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17. 26 verses there, beautiful. Like no other portion of Scripture. There is like no other portion of Scripture. Is that ever brought out in the depth that it is with the intimacy between the Father and the Son? You don't, you don't, it's not recorded anywhere else but right there. Then he went up and he intercedes for us in Romans 8 and verse 34. He ever lives. He's ever living making intercession for us in Hebrews 7 and verse 25. And in Hebrews 9 and verse 24, he appears in the heavens. He appears with us positionally in him before the Father. And he intercedes for us. We need an intercessor. That's what Job was praying in the midst of his trial. In Job 9 and verse 33, you see, God had to bring Job like he has to bring us. And I've given you life, I've given you righteousness, but, 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 but for you to try to interpret it in the flesh apart from me, it loses its value, it loses its preciousness, it does. It does, but it never does. You know, 1 Corinthians 13, 8, where it says, his love never fails. The original literally says, his love never fades. It, it doesn't fade ever. Ever. His love for his son never fades. And his love for us and his son, the love that he loves his son with, never fades for you and I. Never. 
You know why? Because it's based on the value and the preciousness that that father has for the son, the son has for the father, and the Holy Spirit proceeds from both. He has to show us constantly. We can't, we can't look at one of these scriptures and make sense of it without God the Holy Spirit. It will fall, it will fall far short of the preciousness and the value that God sees in it. That's why it says in Job 36 and verse 7, he never removes his eye from the righteous. You know what that means? He never removes what made us righteous, the absolute purity and preciousness of his son, who always, not sometimes, he always, Romans 15 and verse 3 and John 8 and verse 29, he always did those things that pleased the Father. Oh, how precious he was as he walked the earth in his humanity. And then, walking on the earth in humanity, he could go into heaven and intercede for us. You know what that means? Listen, he doesn't wait for us to sin or fail when he intercedes for us. He sees it afar off. Known unto God in Acts 15 and verse 18 are all his works from the very beginning. Isaiah 46 and verse 10. He declares the end. He declares the end of our whole walk. Who is the end of our whole walk and our eternal future? It's Jesus Christ as he walked the face of the earth. We glean from him. We know him. That's why we get to know him in, in, all, of its, in all of his beauty, all of his beauty and his preciousness. In, in, the own, in his own uniqueness of how he has made us, God has made us in the son of his love. Very unique. No one else has a portion like you and I. No one. Nobody. In his whole church, his whole body, his whole bride, there's not another that can reveal him in their own uniqueness like each of us. And that's 1 Corinthians 12. In verse 12, we're the body of Christ. But yet in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 27, each is a particular, peculiar member. He's a Each of us are. And in the preciousness of Christ in us and, and that preciousness of us being in him, he uses to reveal to others. And then we become a joint that supplies in Ephesians 4 and verse 16. So he's very, very precious. And then, upon his going up, he sent down the Holy Spirit with all this heavenly truth. He sent the Holy Spirit because it could only be the Holy Spirit that would show us everything that God, through Jesus Christ, of course, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that's why it's the power of the Holy Spirit in that sense. Everything that he did and finished, okay, was in the eternal mind of God. He was the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth in Revelations 13 and verse 8. The works were finished from before the foundation of the world. What that simply means is before, before it was ever even created. Anything was created. In Hebrews 4 and verse 3, the works were finished. What can we finish without him? What do we try to finish? Well, he makes it very clear. We Listen, you and I are already as precious as God has already made us to be. That's our positional truth. 
Now he's bringing it out in our experiential growth. Our experiential growth. And we learn these things. We learn them, listen, all through the types. As God, and, and again, in my own personal life this morning, was taking me all through the scriptures and showing me with each individual and ever how he was in them and used them. It had nothing to do with themselves. They just were constantly receiving. Receiving, constantly receiving. When we receive, and it's the only time he's precious to us, the only time we understand the value at that particular time, you know, is, is when, when he humbles us. In 1 Peter 5, 6, and in James uh, 4, 6 through 10, again, 1 Peter 5, 6 through 10 also. And that's why it's his loving chastisement. He has to humble us constantly to separate us from, from soul thinking far less. While we walk this earth, we, we lose the value of the preciousness of Christ. Again, he intercede, he's interceding for us. You may ask, and I may ask a question. Yes, I know that God paid, paid for my sins through Jesus Christ on the cross. Yes, I know that I'm going to heaven. But uh, while I'm on the earth, and when I look at things on the earth and everything that's happening, does he care for people? Does he care for me? You know, sometimes when we ask, does he care for me? We base that upon, does he care for others? Well, the Bible makes it clear that he does. For each of us that are in Christ, all our burdens are dealt with. In Psalm 55, in verse 22, cast your burden upon the Lord, and he'll sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be moved, meaning he will never allow the righteous to question anything when they experience the value and preciousness of his son in each of us. And that's why we need to cast all our anxiety, all of it. What's anxiety? Struggling, trying to do something without him. And then finally, does he care for me? 1 Peter 5, 7, he does care. He does care. He couldn't care more than to give us what he considered to be the most precious thing that he could ever give. And he gave, it to, and he gave him to each one of us in a way that only each one who receives them can express them in that particular way that makes up the whole body of Christ. Does God care? Does God care? Does he? Well, he does. The answer is he gave us his son. And he'll never give him up. He'll never make him less than who he's always been in his eyes, most precious. And he'll never give us up. He'll never give us up. Very important. Some of these, again, I'm just bringing this in. Some of these booklets are so very important. Like just finishing up this one. There's a little bit of a delay. And God's delays, really, even his delays in our life, are his answer to patience, being patient while he works love in, and he has to work something out to make more room in us for love. And that love tells me just how much he does care and how important his, his security, his, his life, his son is very secure. We're very secure in him. Eternal security, eternal assurance. 
We're accepted in Ephesians 1 and verse 6. We are accepted. And God does not change his mind. He doesn't lie and change his mind in Numbers 23 and verse 19 like a man does. Do you see what? We could go back to that in a second without depending upon him. Every single thing in this Bible, as he's, as for me, teaching me, as he's leading me through, and we constantly need to be taught. Teaching constantly teaches dependence. Listen to that, and I'm listening with you. Teaching the Word of God, the Holy Spirit teaching the Word of God, always causes us to be dependent. And the more dependent, the more available and entreatable for teaching and hunger. Why it says in Psalm 81 and verse 10, just all, what do you have to do? It's like the little birdie in the nest that we shared recently. They can't do anything. It can just sit there and open its mouth and God will fill it. And it speaks of a hunger. It speaks of a need that can't be met. It speaks of, I'm tired of struggling. I'm tired of struggling. Yes, God, you did deal with all of my sins, every single one of them. And I don't want to live in the lie of them anymore. I don't want to go there anymore. I do not want to be a pretender in Romans 12 and verse 9. I don't want the enemy to, to create distance in me from the preciousness of who Christ is in me and who I am in him. So that now he can accuse me in Revelation 12 and verse 10 and tell me I'm a pretender. I'm a hypocrite in Romans 12 and verse 9. Let love be without pretending. Let it be without pretending. I don't want to be a pretender, an experiential pretender. I don't. That's why we need to keep completely depend upon him. As I was reading, even what are all the scriptures in the old covenant? What do those mean? They're all types about Jesus Christ. He fulfills. He is that all the old covenant is all kinds of types by which we learn in Romans 15 and verse 4. And in 1 Corinthians 10, 6 and 11, we learn by them. What do we learn? I can learn. But unless the Holy Spirit is teaching me the preciousness of how God sees his son and sees me in him, then none of it makes any sense. Why do I need to know about Solomon and 1 Kings, the sixth chapter? Why do I need to know that? I'll read it. Does that make any sense apart from Christ, who's the antitype, who fulfills every single type in the Bible? Every godly one, every single one fulfills all prophecy. He is all in Colossians 3.11. His first Kings, the sixth chapter. Again, God just using this again to teach me. You, do you see, Ed, how dependent you have to be upon me? Why do you think, why do you think God in his love has to make us wait? Because he has to bring us to the end of ourselves and self-help and self-hope and every thought, every word, every deed, every circumstance, every single situation. His love is teaching me that, that I can do nothing apart from, from God in Christ, the fullness of the Godhead. They all participated in us but revealed and manifested through his son. Through his son. First Kings, the sixth chapter, the building of the temple. Now it came about in the, four, the four, 480th year after the sons of Israel 
came out of the land of Egypt. Again, what does that mean? Egypt is a type of the world system. In the fourth year, they were held in bondage. They couldn't do a thing. They couldn't do a thing till God raised up a deliverer. Moses, in the type of the work that God was doing in him first and then through him. You see, God has to do it in us. Because if it's not, it doesn't pass through us to be an impartation of life. I can talk about imputation, positional truth, what's been imputed to our account positionally, but does it come out until he does a work in us? It will not. We'll give declarative knowledge apart from life. We won't be able to impart because we become the interpreter in the flesh and not God the Holy Spirit, who is the only theologian and the only interpreter. Israel came out of the land of Egypt in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel in the month of Ziv, which is the second month. The numbers are huge, the second month. You know the word two, the num- excuse me, the number two, the word second, the number two can mean separation, being separated from him in distance or separated to him in, in the depth of intimacy and the value and the preciousness of the life that Christ is in each of us. It was the second month that he began to build, that he built the house of the Lord. As for the house which King Solomon built for the Lord, its length was 60 cubits. Cubits about 18 inches, tip of your finger to your elbow, about 18 inches. So we can understand that very easily. And it's width 20 cubits or 20 times 18, and its height 30 cubits, or 30 times 18, and the porch in the front of the nave, or that particular location, or the face of the house, as it says in the original, was 20 cubits in length, corresponding to the width of the house. Notice this, listen, to the width of the house, and its depth along the front of the house was 10 cubits. Complete fulfillment. Uh, being filled. Number 10, judicial completion. What does all of that mean so far and how do we interpret that? This length, this depth, this width, how do we interpret that? This is how God would have us to do that. And he does that for us individually based upon the preciousness that Christ is in us and us in him. We wouldn't even be able to do so but having done it already, put, placed us in him through his son. We can see that very, very clearly here. Very beautifully here. This is Ephesians 3. This, is part, this partners with 1 Kings, the sixth chapter. Because whose house are we? He dwells in us, his tabernacle, his dwelling place. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 22, and 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 5, and in Ephesians 1 and verse 13. We are sealed. Sealing means a proof of ownership. Mine. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. We're not our own. He never left it up to us to determine how precious Christ is or how precious we, we are in him. It's the God, the Holy Spirit, who does so. We can do nothing without him. Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, its very nature and character, its very essence, 
that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, brought out in John the 17th chapter, specifically in verse 5 to the end, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through this dependence. That Christ, your preciousness, the Father's preciousness of who he is and you and him may dwell in your hearts through this constant dependence. That you, being rooted and grounded where in love, may be able to comprehend with all those saints, those that are set apart from the old and into him, what is the breadth, here we go, the length, the height, the depth, so that you can know experientially the love of Christ and it passes knowledge that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. And this again brings out Colossians 2 and verses 9 and 10. But how, what do we see? Now to him is our only ability. Now, and now to him who is able to do what he's already done. This brings out Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Individual, you in Christ, you in Christ, you work out your own salvation with a reverence and a trembling, for it is God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure, of good pleasure, who please the, who please the Father, who's the only one that ever walked the face of the earth, ever and all, time and please the father in john 8 29 romans 15 verse 3 he always pleased him no wonder we were created for his pleasure in revelations 4 and verse 11 and that pleasure is the preciousness of his son and who each of us are in his son as individuals now unto him who is able to do far more abundantly oh god has far more abundantly that you and i could ever think far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think. Oh, thank God for his intercession. You know, we have his intercession. That's another thing. He's interceding before we sin. He intercedes while we sin. He continues to intercede for us when we're not living in sin because he sees far further than our feet go. The flesh tells us we can see how far. No, we cannot. We can't do anything without him. He sees beyond and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Be filled up with him. Oh, let the word of Christ dwell in you. Let the word that Christ is, his preciousness, dwell in you. Let it find a home in you. Let it find a home in you. And while he finds a home for you on the earth, in, in John 14, 1 to 3, he's preparing a special place for you to dwell. You know what that place is? You know what that special place is in John 14, 1 to 3? That's that special place that he has for each of you, each of us as an individual in Revelations 2 and verse 17. We will, share, we will grow individually in that love for all eternity. And that's why there'll be fellowship. That's why we'll all be singing like multitudes of our family have already gone home and they fill up the heavenly choir. Now he's teaching us to sing here in Job 35 and verse 10. He gives us songs in the night, the night of his physical absence, but never leaving us nor forsaking us in Hebrews 13 and verse 5, never. But then they've gone and on and filled up their place around the throne in Revelations 5, 9 to 12. 
He's teaching us how precious he is to each of us and how precious we are in his sight. Oh, don't try and figure it out, Ed. Don't, don't try. Just receive it. Don't try and figure it out. Why, God? Why? Oh, God, how could you love me? God, I failed so much. I've sinned so deeply, God. How could you love me? Oh, just receive it. Let it do what only it can do in you in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. And his love in you that you receive in total humility, in total self-helplessness and self-hopelessness, that will beget his, his love in you for him. And he will bring you in your growth to see how much his son is precious in his sight and you are and I are in him. He's able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think according to the power that works in us. What is that power? He's Christ is interceding for us in heaven. And while we're on the earth, he gave us the Holy Spirit in Romans 8 and verse 26. And the Holy Spirit, at times when we go through things, can't figure things out, we struggle. And all we can do is groan. Holy Spirit knows that language far beyond what we know. And he's the power. And he brings it to, and brings it to the one in oneness with Christ. And, he, and then you have this precious exchange between the Father and the Son about you and I. They're all in agreement. They've never disagreed. Did you know that God never disagreed about who he made you to be in the son of his love and who he made me to be in the son of his love? He's made us qualified to walk in that light. In Colossians 1.12, it's our privilege to fellowship as individuals. In 1 John 1.7, to walk in that light, that character that Christ has made us to be. And then we have fellowship in 1 John 1.1-3. 1, and then we can have it together in 1 John 1 and verse 4. He's able to do it far more. And it's according to the power that works in us. Do you see that power that, that, that saved us, that power that set us in the Son himself? He's interceding for us in heaven. And God the Holy Spirit is the second and the other comforter who takes what we can only groan about. What we can only groan. And he intercedes for us. Meaning he takes over. When we fall short, he takes over. He never stops. He never stops loving you and me. He's never going to stop making us to become what he's already made us to be. We'll have all heaven to understand that and to function in it individually. And our individual oneness with Christ in Revelation 2 and verse 17 will bring out the substance of that song in Revelations 5, 9, and 12. You see, no one else, if you can't sing here, Boy, you'll sing then. If we, if we fall short, even in our worship songs, oh boy, it won't, it won't be there. Because for now, we see through a, a glass darkly everything about faith in the Word. By oh my God, in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, then face to face. I'm facing Him never again to be separated from that love. Nothing in time will ever disturb me in the eternity of His love, will ever disturb me or distract me or turn me away from him, ever. Turn me away. And, and it's according to that power that works in us. Christ in us, and the Holy Spirit in us. To him be the glory in the church. That's you and I, by the way. 
and in Christ Jesus to all generations unto the eternity of the eternities. You see, he was teaching me again this complete, utter dependence all through the Word of God and just how precious and how great and how sovereign Christ is because he's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He's filled up with all of who God is. And so we can see it. And we'll close here in First, First Kings, the sixth chapter. Again, we can see it. In verse 3 again, the porch in the front of the facing of the house was 20 cubits in length. How do we measure him? How do we measure him? Again, do you know when we deeply need that, that specific love for that specific struggle, that specific thought, that specific circumstance or situation, when God loves us, he loves us with all of that love, but we can only understand it enough to keep going forward. But he doesn't piece out his love. He's one. He doesn't piece. It's all that love. We just don't see it yet and understand. And then, but for all eternity, we'll be growing in that, yet without disturbance or distraction. The length corresponding to the width, its depth. Oh, how deep, how wide, how long and deep is his love? Upon the front of the house, facing him, ten cubits. Everything, his justice has been satisfied. He's free to love. He's free. Mercy now rejoices over above judgment. Justice being one with it in James 2 and verse 13. Beautiful. Mercy and truth are met together. This is Psalm 85, 11, 12, 10, 11, and 12. Mercy and truth are walking up the hill called Calvary. Righteousness and peace of kiss. Where did all this take place? It's a picture of Jesus as he walks up the Calvary. You know what? He walked up there with all of us in him, did. And he separated our sins as far as the east is from the west. Mercy and truth met together. Where's the only place mercy, justice fulfilled, and truth could meet only in Christ? Where could righteousness and peace cast only in Christ? Truth then will spring out of the earth and God, and, and God looks down and sees this truth in his son springing out. He sees the preciousness of who, he, uh, who he's made us to be in the son of his love. In Colossians 1 and verse 13, we see it, 10 cubits. Also for the house, he made windows with artistic frames. And what a view we have of his beauty. As we look through the window, the word, as we look through it, Against the wall of the house he built stories compassing the walls of the house round about the front of the house in the inner sanctuary. Thus he made side chambers all around. Oh, he's making more room for that life to be poured out. You know, the thief in John 10, 10, hey, the thief comes, came to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that they might have life. Oh, but you know what? More abundantly, as David said, in, in the midst of his sore trials, in the midst of his struggles and failures, he said in Psalm 23, 5, Oh my God, he, my cup overflows. It overflows. He's giving me way more for myself. Oh, he's allowing me to enter in now so I can give myself to prayer in Acts 6, 4 and join in with his intercessory 
a priesthood is. The source of it, by the way, the source of any answered prayer is Jesus Christ. And the source that we even got there was God himself bringing us in Acts 6 and verse 4 so that we know and can speak a word in season to him that's weary. We can see that very clearly in Isaiah 40, 28 to 31. And as we close this morning, we see he made sides of chambers, many rooms, these chambers. This is John 14, 1 to 3, all around. The lowest story, as low as you think you are, it's still five cubits. It's still all grace. And the middle was six cubits wide. The third was seven cubits wide. For on the outside, he made offsets, little areas in the wall of the house, all around in order. Who is God's order? Jesus Christ. That the beams would be would not be inserted in the walls of the house. Now here we, here we see in verse 7, the house, while it was being built, was built of stone prepared at the quarry. Already prepared. And there was neither hammer nor axe. You see, there's no works. It's all grace. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Ephesians uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 21. Romans 4, 7 and 8. Psalm 32, 1 and 2. Romans 11, 5 and 6. It's not works. It's all grace. It's all of it. There was neither hammer nor axe nor any iron tool heard in the house while it was being built up. Nope. Never. The doorway. Jesus Christ is the door. He's the door of, of hope in the valley of Achor, the valley of weeping in Hosea 2 and verse 15. He's the door for the sheep. We go in and out. We go in with him. We take his preciousness and how precious we are, but we take the preciousness of those others and then we go out. He's the door in John 10, 7 and 9. He's the door. And it's the door for the lowest side, lowest side chamber was on the right side of the house. Oh, yeah. He sits at the right hand of the Father finished. You see it in Revelations 1.20. You see it in Psalm 110 and verse 1. And scores of other scriptures, you see that. It was on the right side of the house. And they would go up by winding stairs to the middle story and from the middle to the third into the very presence of God on our way up. You have the steps in Song of Solomon 2 and verse 14. So that the little foxes, those little areas of the flesh, try to disturb in 15. Spoil the grape, the fruit of the Holy Spirit being prepared, and it's because of Jesus Christ. We see this clearly. We can only interpret the scriptures. None of us can make sense of them without the mind of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 16, no wonder it says the mind of Christ. But we have these things, and they far excel anything in 1 Corinthians 2 9, because eye is not seen nor ear heard, neither was entered into the very innermost being of man. The things that God has already prepared. You see, they were already prepared. They were prepared, the stones. You know, when I thought of these stones this morning, I thought of stones made of dust. But God said, no. He said to me, honestly, he said, no, Ed. No, they're stones, they're diamonds. They're diamonds. They're diamonds. Diamonds were created. Two things that create diamonds that build up this stone, this house. What are they? 
What makes diamonds? It's heat. Fiery trials, and we're not to be surprised by them in 1 Peter 4 and verse 12. We, we benefit in Job 23 and verse 10. We come out as gold. And they're for our sake in 1 Peter 1, 7, so that we can see him in all his beauty and glory in 1 Peter 1 and verse 8, based upon what he's accomplished in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, as it's brought out very, very clearly. So he built the house and finished it. Jesus finished it. Solomon was a type, but this is what he was teaching. Solomon, everything you do is based upon my son. It's his life in you. Everything that each of us do, it's he's the doing. He's the one that does it. Philippians 2.12 and, and verse 13. He built the house and finished it. And he covered the house with beams and planks of cedar. Cedar is the aroma of the cross like the finished work. It's a beautiful aroma. He also built the stories against the whole house, each five cubits high, and they were fastened to the house with timbers of silver. Fastened, nails. They fastened him to the cross. They fastened him to the cross. Those nails didn't keep him there. His love to his father was propitiation, and his love for us as a substitute kept him there so that we would be reconciled. Listen, you and I are already reconciled to him. It's not about doing. It's receiving. It's not about figuring it out. It's being patient and, and functioning in him and with him. You see, when he causes us to be patient, he never leaves us nor forsakes us. He's just working in a love for us a love, in that Hebrew word, hashak, H-A-S-H-A-Q, hashak, and he's working into us. And he has to bring us to a place of self-help and self-hope so we experience the preciousness of a love that will never let us go and never let those go that he so deeply loves. And Father, we thank you this morning for the beauty of your word, the very substance of Christ, the very preciousness that he is. There's not a worry or a struggle that hasn't already been dealt with. Oh, if we care for them, oh, how much more he does and how much more we can trust him based upon the love that he loves us with and that he fills us with in his love for them. We want by faith, not by what we see. Oh, we don't, we don't want to privately interpret him. We'll lose the value and preciousness of who he is in us and who we are in him. No, we have a more certain word of what's going on on this earth. Listen, in Second Peter 1, verse 19, we have a more certain word. It's Christ, he's in us, leading us through the light that's in, of intercession, leading us through to a face-to-face -face meeting with him. But all that we were given in, in Christ had nothing to do with man's will had to do with Jesus Christ who finished it. In John 4 and verse 34, and we are so thankful. Father, thank you so much for who you are, manifested and revealed through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit in each of us. In Jesus' name, amen.